Well, this morning on Respect Life Sunday, I'd like to focus actually on our second reading because it has a lot to do actually with life and with death and with how we regard our life as a gift given to us from God. St. Paul in his epistle to the Philippians says of Christ that he was in the form of God and yet he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. And then he went and he, he emptied himself and it talks about how he emptied himself by becoming a human being and by, and by submitting to God's will even to the point of death, even the death of uh, something so shameful as the cross. And uh, what we're looking at here is the Trinity. First and foremost, you have the, the Father and the Son. And the Son is equal, co-equal to the Father. And yet, though he's co-equal to the Father, he didn't, as it were, sort of stand on those, those rights, those, his, his own divine rights. But he gave them up, as it were, and he became one of us. He became a human being. And so it's a great act of self-emptying out, and a great act of humility on the part of the Son of God, that he became one of us. And he humbled himself so much so that he even subjected, submitted himself to death. Okay, He submitted himself to the human condition, totally and completely, uh, even to the point of death. Now, when it comes to uh, end-of-life decisions, uh, we're all going to be facing these sorts of decisions we have to make and make them for ourselves, make them for our loved ones. Uh, not infrequently, especially today, I think, more than ever before in the past, there is a phase that a lot of people enter into towards the end of their life as they're facing death where they become incapacitated and they can no longer actually make decisions for themselves. And so they have to rely upon the decisions that are, are made for them by a spouse or by a son or a daughter or a brother or sister or a niece or a nephew. Very, very common scenario. And uh, there are what are called advanced directives. And there's three or four, at least in New York State, three or four different ways of doing this. Where before you enter into this kind of state of incapacity, you uh, sign something and you fill out paperwork and you, it kind of gives directions to the medical people so that your will in that condition, should it come upon you, is, is made known to them. And the, the, the bishops, our bishops highly recommend a certain advanced directive over against other types. And it's called the healthcare proxy. Healthcare proxy, it is a sheet of paper. You fill it out. You actually don't need a lawyer to do it, although it's helpful to have a lawyer, lawyer present, but you don't need one technically. You just need a good form and you need to have it on file and it needs to be shown to the medical people, uh, should you become incapacitated. And the, the, the strengths and the advantages of a healthcare proxy is that it appoints an agent who is to speak in your name a real live human being who's, who's to make decisions for you. That is the best approach because it's very difficult to know what you're going to, what you're going to encounter when that, when that situation should have come upon you. And so it's hard to know ahead of time and to write, well, this is what I want done X, Y, and Z. All right? The best thing to do is to have a loved one, uh, be appointed, you appoint a loved one as your agent and the loved one knows your ethical and your religious um, beliefs and, and is able to, even if they don't agree with them. But of course it's really good. I mean, my, I've appointed my healthcare proxy is another, it's a priest friend of mine. 
And uh, I've known him for years, and he and I talk about ethics and morality all the time. So I know that he and I uh, think alike, and we think, hopefully, according to the mind of the church. So it's ideal if you can get uh, another Catholic who believes like you believe, uh, but if not, someone who is going to respect your your ethical and your religious beliefs. There's a, a lot of things that could be said uh, on this head, but I think the one that I, I would focus on is, again, going back to our first reading. Jesus did not regard equality with God something to be grasped at. Okay, Now, this whole thing that St. Paul's talking about, he does it in contrast to Adam, to the first human being. Jesus, in the scriptures, is known as the second Adam, and he's a contrast over against the first Adam. The first Adam did precisely what Jesus didn't do. He did grasp at equality with God. If we can remember the story from the book of Genesis, the serpent says to Adam, oh, just you know, take of that fruit and you will be as God. You will be equal to God. And so Adam reaches forth his hands and he's, he's grasping at equality with God. He wants to essentially replace God in his life. He wants to be his own God. He wants to be the absolute master of his life. And we know that that's not acting according to the truth of things. We are not the masters of our own life. We have them on loan from God. And we're stewards. We're we're managers of our life. And we need to be very respectful of that life. Uh, that's been given to us. God alone is the master of life and death. And so we need to let nature take its course and not preempt the decisions of the Almighty and and the course of nature. Uh, If you can recall, it was about eight, well, it was back in January, so it's going to be about 10 months ago now. I gave a homily, a pro-life homily, right around the the March for Life, talking about physician-assisted suicide. And, of course, physician-assisted suicide is a very obvious example of someone kind of uh, presumptuously taking into their own hands their own life and kind of setting themselves up as a, as a supreme master of their own lives. That's, that's a real obvious example, very unethical, very bad to do that, to commit suicide, of course. Um, but there's some subtler, tricky questions that happen when we become incapacitated towards the end of our life. When do you continue to provide support like a ventilator, uh, or dialysis, and when are those um, those things not necessary? And I'll just, to make this homily a little bit shorter here, I'll just focus on one issue, and that is medically assisted nutrition and hydration. It's a very big issue. When do you provide medically assisted nutrition and hydration, and when do you no longer need to? For the most part, uh, there, there are, let me just start off by saying there are some instances where you're not actually morally obliged to provide uh, nutrition and and um, hydration. Um, for example, sometimes the body comes to a point, if, for example, like a, a real obvious one would be cancer in the stomach. Okay, The body cannot absorb nutrition anymore. So it's totally futile to try to feed the person anymore. And it, it's at that point, you just have to Say, well, this is God's will. Nature is taking its course, and you have to just let your hands uh, take your hands off the situation. And it's it's uh, and that's a situation where you don't you're not obliged to provide what they call the G tube. Okay, the 
Also, sometimes the the G tube, the it's called a gastric feeding tube. It's a, it's a tube that goes into the side of the person that gives them nutrition and hydration. Um, sometimes it can cause severe infections, and the body itself is rejecting the tube, and, and the tube can't stay in there. So again, in that situation, this is, what can you do? Right, you can't do anything. Uh, another situation, and I don't understand all the medical realities behind this, but it's called aspiration. And that's when the nutrition that's being provided by the G-tube is actually inhaled into the lungs. It's a really bad situation. When that happens, again, you're not obliged to provide the G-tube because it's actually it's hurting the person. Okay. Apart from those exceptions, providing someone with food, with medically-assisted nutrition and hydration, is obligatory. Okay. These are, this is just a human right. And this is where sometimes uh, the people and the, the very good people who work in our medical industry and the church are a little bit at odds with each other. Okay, there there is big money involved in a lot of this. There are insurance issues involved in this, and there's also issues of space in our hospitals. And so sometimes I think there's a lot of pressure on medical people to try to encourage family members to actually withhold medically assisted nutrition and hydration when really ethically they should be provided. So that's something to really know and and think about ahead of time uh, and to prepare for. We all have the right to be a burden to one another, to uh, be kept warm, to be kept clean, and to be fed. And those are these are basic obligations that we have to uh, provide for one another. And whenever we withhold those things, it's as if we're taking life into our own hands and grasping at equality with God, okay, and, and choosing to be the masters of our own lives as if we're God himself. Uh, but in contrast to that kind of pride, we have the example of Christ, who in humility laid down his life, even, even to death, in, in great humility. So my brothers and sisters, as we think about these issues uh, it's important to, to walk the path of humility and obedience to the will of God. A very nice opportunity is coming up on the 16th. I invite us all to, to show up. It's a free session. It's called uh, uh, Planning for Your Legacy. Something in effect, actually. Let's see what it, yeah, Planning for Your Legacy. Free seminar. It's on October 7, uh, 16th at 7 p.m. You saw the flyer. It was a bulletin stuffer uh, last Sunday. And uh, at this uh, free seminar, I'm going to be one of the speakers, but there will be a few others, talk about will and estate planning, uh, health care proxies, and the power of attorney, uh, of attorney and other important legal documents and other, other issues surrounding this very important uh, end-of-life decision. So I encourage us all uh, to attend that seminar.